You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range, and A-Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, their ZDX is the most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Two Robbies podcast, your destination for in-depth discussion and analysis of the Premier League and the Champions League. I'm Robbie Musto and I recently had the chance to interview Manchester United legend and my former manager at Middlesbrough, Brian Robson. Robbo, the Brian Robson story is a recently released documentary looking back at the legendary career of one of England's all-time greats. Up next is my conversation with Brian Robson discussing that documentary and much, much more. Have a listen after this break. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, so welcome, Brian Robson. Um, an interview with me today is a special day for me um, to promote your new movie, Robbo. A uh, tremendous movie of your life story and your career as a player and a manager, your family life, international career. A wonderful, wonderful watch. And excuse me, because I will, natural for me to say, Gaffer, you were my boss at Middlesbrough, my manager for seven years. Tremendous years that. So welcome in. Thanks so much for joining us. No, thanks, Robbie. And thanks, NBC, for the invitation. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to all the fans that I know that I've got over in the USA. So, yeah, you know, thanks very much. So let's go right back to the start. I mean, it's going to be fascinating for me this as well. Um, right back at the beginning, just just tell me how you fell in love with football, where you fell in love with football and who or what players you looked up to at that time. Well, I was sort of six-year-old and I was always a Newcastle United fan in them days. And my dad was a big Newcastle fan and my mom. Uh, and my dad decided to take me to Newcastle to watch the first ever football league game. Uh, I always remember it. Uh, 
Newcastle United v Northampton at St James's Park. And from from then on, all I can ever remember doing is just thinking, oh, I'd love to be a professional footballer. Mm-hmm. And and then as it went along, you know, I was playing for all the school teams in the area. Um, and this one day after a match when I was 13, uh, there was a knock on the door at lunchtime and it was a Burnley scout. Um, and he wanted to speak to me, mum and dad, about taking me for one week's uh, trial period at Burnley Football Club. So it all started from there because I, I just felt, Crikey, this is a, a little bit of a, an opening to a professional football club. But then when uh, West Bromwich Albion, when they came in and offered me an apprenticeship deal when I was 15, oh, yeah. I, I just couldn't wait to go and, and sort of start training, get me get myself within the football club. So it all came about from there. When it started in uh, 1972, what, you know, you're on this long road of hopefully being a professional player and having a great career. What, what were your goals and dreams back then, Gaffer? Like, what did you think you could do in the game? I know it's, it's a long time ago and you were super young. I mean, how, what were your thoughts back then? Robbie, you, you know, in professional football, you start mixing with men. Mm. who were making a living in the game and and so they're going to be tough with you. Um, And so for me, I knew the the work was just beginning at 15. Uh, You know, and you've got to work hard. You've got to dedicate yourself to being a professional sportsman. And I knew I had to do that. Uh, I've got to say, the first year I joined West Brom, I was in digs. And, you know, I missed my mum and dad, especially my mum, because... She used to pamper me, even clean my boots and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, so, but I knew that that, that was the start of the hard work. Uh, and then it, w- one lucky thing I had as well, you know, um, I, I'm not so sure whether people in America will know, but Don Howe, he was manager oh, of West Brom at that time and he was a great coach, but oh, he was ruthless. I mean, you had to work so hard under him. Um, but what I, when I look back, it grounded me, um, you know, and it gave me great rules that I knew I had to work really hard and practice really hard if I wanted to make it as a professional. And you made it uh, into the first team, 18 years of age in 1975. Can you remember anything about your debut? Yeah, we played uh, York City away from home. Uh, we won the game uh, 3-1. Uh, and the coach actually gave me a man-marking job on their best midfield player because he wanted to keep it nice and easy for myself. So he did that. Then my home debut couldn't have gone any better because we played Oxford United uh, at the Hawthorns, and we won 2-0, and I got the first goal. So it was a great start for me, uh, you know, winning the first two games and actually getting my first league goal. Uh, you know, so it, it went from there. But something which gave me a lot of confidence, which, which a lot of people don't know, is I played in the England under 18, the youth team. And we went to the Mini World Cup in Switzerland. And I played with some great players, uh, like when you look back now, Ray Wilkins, Glenn Hoddle, Alan Curvisley, Peter Barnes. These sort of players were in our England squad at that time. And we won the Mini World Cup. And I actually came back from 
that summer and winning that mini World Cup. And even though you were a youth, I came back full of confidence. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So you became a, a regular player for West Brom uh, under Ron Atkinson, who arrived in 1978 and later followed him to United in 81. What impact did he have on you as a person and a player? Well, Ron, what he loved you to do as a manager, he wanted you playing under him, really enjoy your football, work hard, but enjoy your football. And so he wasn't really into tactics that much. It was about us enjoying ourselves and he wanted to build a team who could do that. Um, so training was really enjoyable. Uh, you, you know, playing under him was re really enjoyable. And we had four very good years where we kept getting into Europe, uh, which was unheard of for West Brom at that time. Uh, but we did have some really good players. And yeah, you know, it was a great club to work with. Mm. Just thinking about your game at that point, like your game as a midfield player, of course, we all knew kind of, that you could do a bit of everything in midfield. At that point, was that natural for you to be box-to-box, -to, -box, to, to try and get a goal, to love a tackle, to be a leader? Or was that something you grew into? Like, what, what was natural for you as a midfield player when you were that young? I, I think because I was fairly small when I was sort of 13 to 15, 16, uh, when I say fairly small, sort of like just below average for a right. footballer. And what... I loved to attack when I was at school and I was in the school teams. I always wanted to attack, get on the ball and try and score goals. Um, and so what I did, I, I developed under Don Howe. I developed as a defensive midfield player, understanding the game and working at it, where your timing of tap, tackles and everything. And um, so I would say the instinct of going forward and scoring goals was natural. But the actual defensive work, I worked really hard on to improve me in, in that area of the game. Yeah, it's really interesting. Of course, at the period of time at West Brom, you grew, you improved, clubs took notice. And I think nearly 10 years you're at the football club. What were the key factors that made you join Manchester United? Well, I know at the time, Liverpool and Manchester United both had a, an interest in me. Um, but what it was really, uh, I think Liverpool said that they would only go to 1.2. And so I think when Ron Atkinson found that out, he automatically went to 1.5. Uh, and so I didn't really have a decision, Robbie. The only decision I said uh, to West Brom is that sold a couple of our best players in the summer, which would really unsettle me because... I thought we were going to buy better players to make West Brom a better team. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, I said I wanted to leave and go to Man United because I wanted to win things in my career. Um, and thankfully, Man United and uh, Ron Atkinson made that uh, happen. And so that's why I joined Manchester United. So that, that was a British, um, British record fee at the time, wasn't it? £1.5 million. Um, obviously, joining a club like Manchester United... I never got to play at that level. What did it feel like both with the price tag and joining a club of that size in terms of pressure on you right then? Because that, it was a big, big story back then. Yeah, well, the, the one thing you look back at is when you come through the ranks at any football club and you get in the first team, 
there's no pressure on you because the fans want you to do really well and there's no expectations from the fans. So they just encourage you all the time. Once you board for a record fee, now all of a sudden expectations are there. And when it's a record fee, it's not just being a good player or an average player. It's a matter of being a very good player or an outstanding player. And that's what the fans expect from you. So there is that added pressure to do well. And, and I think it showed on me, Robbie, in the first year. I think, you know, where you over try and I, I was doing things which I normally wouldn't have done at West Brom. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying too hard. But then I went to the World Cup in 82, had a very good World Cup with England. Uh, And I came back full of confidence. And then I relaxed into the next season and I just played my natural game. Uh, And then the Man United fans saw the Brian Robson who they bought. I think the following season, I think you helped guide the team to its first well, for an FA Cup, 83 uh, FA Cup title that you've got. The first, the, the first major trophy in your career. Oh, God, we'll get, we'll get to Middlesbrough later. I would have loved to obviously win one of those Cups. What did, it, what did it feel like for you at that time to lift your first major trophy? Look, Robbie, I, I was 25 then, you know, so I, I moved when I was 24 uh, to United. So, you know, to get to the Cup final win 4-0 in the replay, score two goals, uh, get brought down for a penalty and win the game 4-0. It, it was just brilliant, the atmosphere within Wembley. Um, and, you, you know, when I went down onto the pitch side and the fans are going crazy and there's a fantastic atmosphere, you just think, yeah, you got a lot of criticism for wanting to leave West Brom. But this is exactly why I wanted to come to Manchester United. Mm, mm. Uh, there's no better feeling than win a major trophy, uh, you, you know, no matter which club you're with. Mm. So, despite winning two FA Cups um, with Manchester United, Ron Atkinson was fired in November of 1986. What went through your mind at that time when you first heard the news? Oh, you feel a little bit guilty because... You know, you're a player in the squad and you feel like you've let the manager down when the manager gets a sack. Um, but unfortunately for Ron, I think it was the 85 season where we went 10 games in the Premier League and we won all 10. And then it was 17 games before we actually got beat. Um, mm-hmm. And because of that start, everybody just expected us to win the title. But we got quite a lot of injuries, to be fair, to Ron. And I don't think our squad was quite in-depth good enough uh, to mm. keep the run going. So we eventually came third in the league that season. And I think that's what cost Ronnie's job. Mm. Obviously, we know what happened after that. Sir Alex Ferguson came to the football club. Um, did you know much about him, Gaffer, before he came to Old Trafford? Yeah, well, Gordon Strachan uh, had been bought from Aberdeen by uh, Ron Atkinson. And, you know, as soon as Sir Alex's name was, like, favourite, you, know, you know, with everybody, the papers, the bookies, um, you know, then we were, uh, the senior players were asking Strach what he was like. And he said, I so disciplined and thorough with the young players. He says, but he's very good with, with the senior players. He says, but 
the discipline on the pitch, off the pitch and everything is got to be spot on. Otherwise, you know, he'll make changes. And he did make changes. I think we all know that. And of course, it's so fresh in my mind now after just watching the movie this morning. Um, he did get rid of a few players. You remained a regular. What conversations did you have with him around about that time about what your role was in the first few seasons? Yeah, the boss told me that, you know, I was really important in his fans. I was the club captain, the team captain. And, you know, he said, I, I just want you to get on with, with the role of what you've done for Manchester United since you've joined. Um, but he said, I want your discipline off the field to be that little bit better, you, you know, and watch what you're drinking. Uh, you know, if you want to prolong your career, uh, you, you know, you've got to watch your diet and everything. And I said, boss, I want to play until, you know, I'm really late age in my 30s. Um, you know, so I, I said to him that that's not a problem for me because I love playing football and that's my first priority. Um, and, and that's what he said. But then we had a great rapport uh, as a manager and as a captain because, you know, I I sort of let him know the players' feelings at certain times. Um, he knew that I like to get abundant with the lads and maybe go out three or four times in the season where we go to the races, play golf or go for a meal. And mm -hmm. he understood that and he, he did quite like that. Um, you know, but he, he wanted to know everything that was going on the uh, on around the club. Um, you, you know, so I, I didn't spy on the players because that's not me, as you know, Robbie. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, he, he'd like to know the thoughts of the players and individuals or the you know, a bit moody or anything like that. Do I need to encourage them? Mm. And, and so you did have a bit of that with me and Salix, you know, within the, the sort of his office. So in some ways, just to follow up real quick on that, he, he, he did change you in some ways. And when he came in and wanted you to change your diet and, and your social stuff, it, it worked. He did, he did change some of your lifestyle around the game at that point. Yeah, he did. Um, you know, it wasn't just myself, it was a few of the other lads, you know, at the club where, you know, just what you eat for pre-match meal, how you prepare, how you train was yeah. the main one for me. Um, because when you were doing serious training with him, uh, it had to be really serious. And I mean, he, he'd stop the sessions if, if he thought people were just mucking about and not concentrating mm -hmm. on it, you know, he'd stop the session and he'd send you away and go, I'll see you at three o'clock this afternoon. He says, if you're going to waste my time this morning, I'll waste your time this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he really liked. Brilliant. So United were going through a bad run, 89-90 um, season. There were rumours circulating about his job. It's under pressure. Heading into the FA Cup match at Knott's Forest, uh, you guys won that game 1-0 and you went on to win the FA Cup that season. There's been a lot of talk about that. Of course, Sir Alex Ferguson then stayed for 23 years. In the dressing room then, was there a, was there a sense of, like, is it going to work out with this guy or, or were you always fully confident that he was the right man going forward? I think what, what happened at that time, Robbie, um, 
the board of directors and the chairman, Martin Edwards, they could see what Alex was building with a first-team squad. And some of the players just needed a little bit of time to settle in. But he'd signed some really good players with, um, you know, great ability. Uh, but then they could see in the background what he was doing with the academy. And the first thing Alex said when he first came into the club was, right, uh, I want to bring the Samat Busby days with the academy and we've got to get back to that and make sure we concentrate on that as well as building a team. So I think talking to Martin Edwards years later, Martin Edwards and the board of directors never were thinking of sacking Alex, um, you know, at that time when we played Nottingham Forest. And the great thing about that was, you know, they did let that go, but winning that FA Cup was just the start for quite a few of the young lads who just joined the club. You know, we had people like Incy, uh, who was, I think he was 22. Gary Pallister had joined. Uh, Lee Sharp was coming through. Lee Martin was coming through. So there was a lot of younger lads coming in, as well as, um, you know, the, the lads who, uh, you know, had had great years at United as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Brucey was a solid, experienced player. Um, so he built a good team to win the FA Cup and I, I think that gave the lads confidence to go on from there yeah, and they, they did go on of course and Manchester United finally won the 1992-93 league title in the first season I think in the Premier League um, how did you and Manchester United finally get over that hump to win a title yeah well it was more or less the same group of players uh, the year before when Leeds pipped us right at the end of the season. Uh, you know, and we were all so disappointed because we really did feel that we were as good, if not better, than Leeds. So going into the season, the next season, uh, you know, we'd won the European Cup Winners' Cup in 91. And so the lads just had a, a real belief and confidence about the group of players who were in the dressing room. And we didn't get off to a great start, but then we were just building. And then Salix put the final piece in the jigsaw when he signed Eric Cantona. Mm-hmm. Um, and that completed the team, really, and the squad. Uh, and so we went on and we won that title that year. Unbelievable atmosphere in the stadium, party mm-hmm. atmosphere. Um, and so Alex then, yeah, you know, he built a really good squad then. Plus, sort of like around about the youth team had won the uh, FA Youth Cup, they'd won the Central League, um, as it was called then. And, and so they were playing as a group of players. And so everything at the club was, was on a high. Um, and it proved that, you know, because the next year, 93, 94, we'd go on to win the double. Uh, you know, so things were going great for Sir Alex and for his squad development. I'll tell you so, what I was fascinated with in the, in the movie was, obviously, different people are on. Eric Cantona's on there saying great things. But the, the influence that you had on some of the younger pros, Giggsy was on there. you got Gary Neville on there, David Beckham. I mean, can you give us a quick kind of sense of how you acted as an anchor for them, a foundation for them, a mentor, an inspiration? Because they all really, really learned and were inspired by you. Well, I 
I, I look back at my time at West Brom and there was a lot of senior players at West Brom who were real strong personalities and, you know, they they looked after the two young lads who were coming through at the club and that was myself and John Truitt, another North East lad. Um, and, yeah, you know, they always looked after you on the pitch, off the pitch and everything. And I always took that to heart and I always remembered that. And so when I came to United, now I was England captain, Man United captain. You know, I just wanted to to develop that. You, you know, within the club when young players are coming through, you look after them. Mm. Mm. Just, just you touched on it there. I just do want to ask you about England briefly because, I mean, honestly, we could spend hours and hours talking about the things that you've done. But just kind of pick out some some special moments being the captain for the national team and what it meant to you again I would have flipping I would have run through a brick wall many times over to play for England and I can only imagine how proud that, that you must have been and, and other people that I know and played with so many England internationals can I can you pick out a few kind of highlights and what it meant to you and your family to represent England hey when you played for me you did run through a few <laughs> I <know>. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no I, I mean the, the obvious one that stands out straight away is playing in the first World Cup finals in 82 in Spain, playing against France, scoring the quickest goal, scoring two goals and winning the game 3-1. You know, we went through that competition unbeaten, um, you know, but because of the format of the competition, we went out, which was really disappointing. Mm. But then 86, I was going to Mexico and there was always a doubt about my shoulder, whether it would stand up to the rigours um, of playing, unfortunately, in the second game, yeah, you, you know, I um, dislocated my shoulder, and that was me out of the competition. And then probably the most devastated part of my career was 1990 in Italy, playing against Holland in the second team uh, in the second game again, and uh, you know, to snap the Achilles tendon uh, was just devastating that it, it happened. You know, at that time, because we just won the FA Cup in 90, I was feeling really confident, feeling really on top of me, fitness levels. Uh, so that was a major disappointment. But like you just said there, Robbie, for me, when I look back at when my time at Newcastle, when I'm watching as a kid, I mean, it's just any kid's uh, dream to, mm-hmm. you know, never mind captain the country, but to play for the country uh, and then play for a club like Manchester United and captain them as well. So, you know, it was just a dream which had totally come true. Just thinking back to your last season at Manchester United, it was 93-94, you helped them win another Premier League title. You're the longest serving captain in Man United history, having won the armband from 82 to 1994. When you look back, um, what's your most proudest memories of your time at Manchester United? Uh, proudest moments, uh, yeah. Winning winning the Premier League in 92-93, that, that's the most standout uh, moment for me. Um, winning a European competition in the European Cup Winners' Cup against Barcelona, that was a real proud moment. Um, but then also being the captain for that amount of time 
And then it was just fantastic when all the fans turned out at my testimonial match against Celtic. Uh, those are just great memories which people can't take away from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. So you left in the summer of 1994 to become player manager of Middlesbrough, where I was at at that moment in time. Um, why did you want to get into management and why was it Middlesbrough? I can't believe that I joined Middlesbrough. <laughs> but uh, no, I, look, I, I had a meeting with Steve Gibson. I, I sorry, Rob, I, I always wanted to go into management. That was my next step. Whether I was going to get a decent job, you, you just never know in the game. It's you know, it's whether an owner likes you, whether a director likes you, and you're lucky enough to get into management straight away. Mm. I think. One of the main reasons Steve Gibson wanted to talk to me, uh, Steve was looking at me as a player. And when I said I wanted to play for another couple of years, I, th- I think it was the bait of me playing for Middlesbrough, which he really said, yeah. And then, you know, I, I was player manager. Um, but I, I took the job. I mean, I had another couple of, good offers from Blackpool and Wolverhampton Wanderers at the time. Um, but I just thought, saw Steve's plans for Middlesbrough, you know, the new stadium, the new training ground that he had. They were, okay, that was going to be in a few years' time. But I knew the group of players who were there because we played you in the quarter-final of the FA Cup. And so I, I, I remember how Derek White... Um, Stevie Vickers, Chris Morris, yourself, Jamie Pollock, because I'd played against you in those games and they were tough games. Um, you know, and then John Henry had always been a goal scorer. So, you know, I knew yeah, that uh, Borough had got quite a good, solid group of experienced players. So when I started to look at that team and then I thought I could add people like Clayton Blackmore, Viv Anderson, uh, you know, those sort of lads. And then Steve had given me a couple of million to spend, Nigel Pearson, Neil Cox. I knew I was adding real quality to the squad to go with the squad that was there. Um, you know, so I was quite confident we could uh, get off to a, a good start. And I think it was just a matter of me convincing you lads that I could do management and, yeah, you know, and be successful with us. Yeah, I'll never yeah, forget yeah. the day um, when you walked through the door at a meeting room upstairs at Ayrson Park to meet us for the first time, and we didn't know for sure what was going on. Um, it's a pretty, pretty big day for the squad. Just going back then, like getting into management, what were the kind of philosophies that you wanted to instill in us straight away? Straight away, I wanted used to be hard working, um, you know, really prompt or timekeeping. Uh, which I always think is very important within a football club. Um, but that hard work and, and yeah, you know, understanding the systems that we play, because if you remember, or now and again, we play a back three, not very yeah. often, but, you know, then you, you play a 4-4-2 and all that. And you need your players to understand the position, not, not just say, yeah, we'll go out today and just play that way. You need your players to understand it. And, you know, unfortunately, that's the way it turned out. Uh, I think John Henry got a 
new lease of life because I played him through the middle instead of a winger. And John loved that role through through the middle and mm. ended up, I think he was our top scorer. Mm. Uh, but the bonus for me in that first year was Higgy on the right. I didn't realise how skillful and what a, a good goal scorer he was. But then Alan Moore, an 18-year-old lad who I'd mm. never heard of. Um, I mean, he had an outstanding season that season as well. So the whole thing came together well. And then coinciding with going into the Riverside Stadium, you know, it was just a perfect start for us all. So this isn't my question, by the way. This is my producer wants to be asked this question. What was your initial assessment of a 25-year-old Robbie Musto back in 1994? Be gentle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Good tackler. Work, work so hard. Um, and then never try to sort of pass miracle balls. Robbie always kept it nice and nice and easy and just kept the game going, but hardly has ever given the ball away. So for me, when I went in there, it was nearly always Robbie who played alongside me because he had the legs to get up and down the park. And by this stage of my career, I was just sitting in front of the back four trying to pass the ball about and just organise people. Yeah, i got to say, like, thinking back there, and people ask me about defining moments in my career, when you pulled me into the office and said, I want you here, because people didn't know, you know, their situation, the club, play, players' contracts were coming up, and you kind of offered me a new deal. Your part of the future was a pretty big moment um, for me. You retired as a player in 1997, um, so I got a little bit more playing time, <laughs> which is good. Um, what... what how did you know it was time to, to hang up the boots for good? Well, I don't know if you can remember the Arsenal game at uh, Highbury. Well, we, we, um, we had all those injuries which affected our season. and We were just short of players and I played centre-half that day. Um, and what I was 11 days short on my 40th birthday. <laughs> and I came off after that game and for three days I couldn't walk. Uh, like it was just everything in my legs when my back would were, were just like so sore mm. and so I just felt no that's my playing days are over that's my last game just 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 last follow-up question on the playing side of it um again I, I can I can tell people what you were like as a player what what would you like people to know or how do you feel how would you describe yourself to somebody else as a player no well I would like to think I was hard working, give it, give it everything, you know, as far as fighting for the team. Um, but also just to sort of look back and say, yeah, well, he had a fair, fair bit of ability to go with that hard work and endeavour for the team. Mm. And just go back to Middlesbrough, like we had an amazing ride. Again, this could be a whole different movie probably about our time at Middlesbrough together. Um, what what do you look back at some of the best moments of you managing Middlesbrough? Um, the first promotion, definitely one of the best moments, um, you know, because, yeah, I'd won things at Man United, but to actually put a team together and work with them every day and then achieve something at the end of that first season, uh, that was great. I get into the two cup finals, but unfortunately that turned sour because we get relegated. But the next season, 
I thought was a great season for everybody connected with the club. So, because to get relegated and then lose Ravanelli, Emerson, Juninho, but then the lads to go on the next season, get promoted straight back into the Premiership and actually get to a cup final, that was a great achievement by that squad of players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Like, brilliant to bounce back and, and to have the great times of the cup finals that we did was was certainly special in my career. You can see there's my FA Cup final shirt right there. I'm sure you got a few of those, and but I mean that's what it meant to me at that time. Those cup runs and it was absolutely phenomenal for the club. Uh, I just want to ask you before we wrap up just about uh, West Brom. You went back to West Brom as a manager. It's just a great escape. I mean, uh, here people here in America love a bit of big time story. Um, of course, right at the bottom of the league table, last day of the season, um, looked like you were going to get relegated with them. Of course, we all know that you know, bottom of Christmas often get relegated. The Great Escape, what did you say to those players in, in those last few weeks um, leading up to that heroic last day? Yeah, Robbie, I mean, I mean, we were bottom in October when I took the job and then it gets to Dece- December and, you know, you're still bottom of the league and you're thinking, are you getting any reaction from the players and that you've got to get them the confidence. But then all of a sudden, January, the first sort of thing, I think we got a great win at Man City 1-0. And that just gave the lads confidence. And, you know, the last game of the season, we um, we needed to win. If we drew or lost, obviously we were down. But mm-hmm. we needed to win. But I looked at the fixtures the week before and I just felt if if we can stay in touch and distance with them, I think all of those three teams above us, I think all of them will not get the result that they want. Um, you know, and it, it worked out like that. But no, the lads, the team talk was, you know, concentrate on our game. There's no point of thinking about the, the teams that uh, we're against here. We've just got to beat Portsmouth. And if we do that, then we give ourselves a chance of staying up. But then what I actually did, I I got um, my uh, fitness coach, who was very good at videos and all that. And I just said to Richard, pick out little montages of the best tackle, best goals of the different players. So the defenders, the best tackles, the the forwards, midfield players, the best goals. And just put a 10-minute clip. So I made them all sit down and just watch this video for 10 minutes uh, and said to them, there's your team talk. Look what you can do when you're right at the top of your form. Um, and luckily, it happened for us. And we had, you've always got to have a little bit of luck in, in that area. But yeah, we got the win. The, all the other three teams didn't get the results they wanted. Uh, and so we stayed up on the last day, um, You know, which for me is one of the... Uh, best moments uh, in in my managerial career uh, because most of the lads who played for West Brom at that time, they, all they'd ever done is play in the championship and hardly any of them had ever been in the premiership. So uh, that's why it stands out as a good moment. It's been a decade you've been at the game in terms of management. Um 
as we kind of wrap up, it's great hearing the stories and, and the passion that you still speak with. What do you miss most about the game? I know you're still around Old Trafford. I've seen you there when we've taken our broadcast on the road to Old Trafford. I still know that you're an ambassadorial role for the club. But what do you miss most about really being in that dressing room? Robbie, I miss the banter uh, that goes on in a football club. I miss the coaching side where you go out and you set your team out and... You know, and then the one-on-ones you've got to have with players. I, I really enjoyed that sort of role. But having to do the media every day and then having to do all the mail that you get and then players have always got a prop. Well, some players <laughs> always have a problem. Never me, never me. <laughs> no, you were a good boy. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, you, because you've got a group of 60 players within a club, you know, your first team, your reserves, your youth team, there's always a problem around. And after a certain time, you think, uh, no, I, you know, I've, I've had 12 years of management. And then the other side of it is I can go on holiday when I want to now, even though I've got the ambassadorial role at Man United. Yeah. And, you know, I can babysit me grandkids uh, when I want to, uh, not when the football dominates it. So Robbo, the Brian Robson story, a film documenting your career with Manchester United is out now. Um, last one, really. Did you learn anything about yourself making this or from teammates or the whole process? Did you learn anything about yourself uh, when you made this film? Robbie, what, one of the main things is, yeah, it's great that I, I think all the family um, appreciate what I've done all, over the years. Um, you know, and so it's great to see the reaction of your family. Um, but uh, I didn't realise the the players and people in football who I'd worked with um, held me in such esteem. So that was fantastic to see some of the interviews and how the lads and the managers spoke about me. Uh, you know, so I've got to say that the way the Fulham has turned out yeah, I'm absolutely delighted with. Well, thank you so much for the interview. Um, and on a personal note, thank you so much for how you influenced me in my career in the game and those wonderful years, seven years I had with you at Middlesbrough Football Club. And thanks for putting me on a path that's leading me still to be working in the game right now in, in the United States. So thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks very much, Robbie. It's been a pleasure to join you. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Well, I've got to say, mate, I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant watch. Oh, thank and you. maybe because he was in an era when we were growing up, and, and I've got to be honest, he was my favourite player. Yeah, mine too. Um, mm. The stuff I didn't know. I think the thing that stood out for me, Rob, was how many big names mm. in the game talked about him being a great. And, and to, like the, the Beckham, you know, what, what he meant, yeah. you know, he didn't, he didn't have to talk to him. The Gary Neves, the Gary Linekers, the Graham Sooners, who he, he was up against. Yeah. People held him in such high regard. Eric Cantona, another yeah, one that... Yeah, that yeah, Cantona, who don't often come out and say those things about other players. Yeah, I just... The, the, the footage and his reaction to that about what a great player he mm, was yeah, and yeah. what a clutch player he was yeah. and what a brave player he was. So for me, to interview him, mm. I, I, I had to call him gaffer because it, it just wouldn't seem right after yeah. being my manager for, I think, seven years at Middlesbrough. And I would literally run through anything for him because of... How I, how I idolised him as a player as well. So yeah. we were kind of good for each other in that time at Middlesbrough. We had some amazing memories. Mm. But just to speak to him like that and for him to be super relaxed and the story is such a great one mm. when you think about him as a player and where he came from, from nothing yeah. really. Now he yeah. fell in love with the game watching Newcastle United. It was a, it was a wonderful, what, 45 minutes yeah. I spent with him that I haven't really had a chance to properly catch up after our time t- together at the, at, the, at the football club at Middlesbrough. Yeah. Um, and I, I really, re- I was a little nervous going into it actually yeah, because yeah. I wanted to, to get the best out of him. I wanted to have a good rapport, a respectful mm. rapport, yeah. um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. In some respects, he, he, he's a, he was a superstar his time, mm. but so humble in the other way. It's kind of a juxtaposition. Normally you, you get that and you get a bit of arrogance. He's almost the other way. Quite shy, quite introverted. Yeah. You know, so when he pulls on, on his shirt, that was the time he came. And he comes across in, in the interview, he's, he's quietly spoken. He's not, he's not that commanding as, as figure as, as you think from the plane. Well, it's a great observation, and, I, and I'll tell you, you're absolutely right, because there was two Brian Robsons, okay? There was Brian Robson, the player and the captain, yeah. and Brian Robson, the manager. Now, I've said this before about this, this guy that I learnt more from Brian Robson by training with him and playing alongside him in the middle of midfield for Middlesbrough. Mm. He was a player manager. He still was playing. Yeah. I learnt more about oh, leadership, about courage, about mental toughness by being around him. Mm. And, and, and his, his barking of, of uh, message, whether it's like, get, pick, pull your finger out or move this way, Robbie, or the way that he was a leader was, was astonishing. Yeah. As a manager, it was different. I'll mm. be honest with you. I'm not lie. I don't think he was fully comfortable being up there, talking yeah. publicly to 25 pros mm. and, and getting that message over. I, I didn't want to ask him about that, but I, I honestly felt that. Yeah. But it didn't matter because of what we knew it was like as a player yeah. and, and, the, and the inspiration we took from him mm. by watching him train and watching him play. Quick story. One of his first ever games at Ayrson Park when he first came in, we had a set piece. He flew into a, a challenge with a goalkeeper that he could. That was never like, like oh, what, what, what you're doing? 
He comes out, he gets a fist from the goalkeeper above his eye. He had the biggest Harry Potter scar <laughs> above his eye. Oh, Blood oh. is gushing down oh. his face. I'm like, bling. Enough, enough. It's like, wow, this guy yeah. is so yeah. brave. Mm. Um, and not to his own, you know, to risk his own physical harm. An absolute legend, Rob, to, mm. to play with. My goodness, I can say that. Yeah, I can say yeah, I played in the yeah, same team as him. Yeah, I got yeah. managed, I, I managed, uh, was managed by him. He trusted mm. me in that midfield, and that meant a, a lot to me. Just, just finally, Rob, because he, he, he's a Manchester United great, and, and, mm. that, and that's like real high exclusive category of, you know, the Cantonals, the Dead Laws, the Charlton's. Uh, he, he's up there. He's right a, up there, isn't he? He's is a, is a great, as is, is one of them. I got the sense at the end, of, as your interview was ending, that it feels like, it sends to me like contentment, like the ambassador role mm. kind of fits him now. Mm. He's a bit older, he's got the grandkids who he's happy to be yes. around and, and spend time with the family, maybe yes. that he wasn't able to do when he managed. He, he just looked yeah. to me like he's in, he feels like in a good place. He's obviously remembering that he'd, he'd had the, um, the illness uh, yeah. some years ago. Yeah. felt like he was in a good place. Yeah, right? I, I, I think it's a great shout, and, and I'm so pleased about that. He talked about the grandkids and wanted mm. to spend more time with them, take them away on, on vacation or whatever. So, yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I, th I thought he seemed a man that was content with life and happy right now yeah. with his situation. Yeah, and, and, and when we go back there, we've been there, Rob, mm. I, I bump into him, oh, Gaffer, how are you doing? And it's nice to see him when we go and do our shows from Old yeah, Trafford, which we've done quite yeah. a few times now. We'll hopefully get back to that in the upcoming seasons. But, no, you're right, and I think it absolutely suits him. And, uh, you know, one of the greats, I mean, we're, we're talking top two or three that's ever played for this club, Rob. I think he's that yeah. in that high esteem, and uh, everybody appreciates what he, what he did and what he continues to do and represent this, this great club. Yeah, great interview, mate, for, for one yeah, of the greats of the game. We'll be back on Monday, December the 27th, when we'll recap Boxing Day. And the big game at St. James's Park, Newcastle versus Manchester United. Sure, Brian Austin will be up at that game. But for now, I'm Earl. He's Musty, together with the two Robbies. Thanks for watching and listening. Be safe, stay healthy. It's a good night from me. And it's a good night from him. Good, good night. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.